Well, good morning. Um, I'm going to be picking up with some things that Andy has been teaching. Uh, he is in Australia for three weeks. And so um, I'm going to be teaching one or two of those. And then Jen Barnett, who is co-author with him on uh, Freedom Tools, is going to be teaching one of those weeks as well. So, uh, so we're we're going to continue along the same line of, of thinking. Uh, every I put down three by five cards. Does everybody get a three by five card uh, when you came in? That you guys. There we go. Okay, good. Everybody have one. Everybody got one. Okay, very good. Okay. Uh, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take a, a pencil, a piece of paper, a pencil or a pen, uh, either one, and write out in your own words. There's not a right or wrong answer. Write out in your own words how you would define heart. You say they have a blank heart. How, what is heart? What is that to you? What does that mean to you? In our culture, it gives a lot of different connotations to that word. Just listen to our music, right? So I want to know what your understanding is. Remember, there's no right or wrong. We define it from our own life experiences. Nice to have background music while they're practicing upstairs, isn't it? Okay, I'm going to come back to that in just a minute, so you can keep writing. Uh, but just to bring some of you uh, up to date, uh, Andy has been talking about that we're made up of three parts. Scripture talks about the, the physical part, the sarkikos is the, the, the flesh. Then you have the natural, which is the uh, uh, psychikos. And then you have the spiritual, which is pneumatos which is the spirit and so the the soul and the body have no life until God breathed into the spirit of man okay so when we look at the spirit we're looking at our conscience our intuition our communion with God and with one another and then when we think about soul we've been thinking about mind will and emotions and then when we think about body we think about strength and beauty food drink and rest now i don't know about you we can sit and put that up there and i can understand those words but me trying to discover the practicality of that in my mind has taken me months uh, and and it's not that it's complicated it's just that you have to stop and think about how it works and how it all comes together. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time with this. I just wanted to kind of, it's going to be important for you to know how all this kind of fits in because I want to talk about our hearts um, this morning. Okay? Does anybody have any questions about this before we move on? I think everybody's been in here on a regular basis, so it's probably uh, stuff uh, that you already know. Okay? All right, the next is, well, well before I do that, Share with me uh, what, what, how you would define the word heart. Y'all share. 
This is your time. Deep. Deep inner self. Good. What else? I like that it's a place where emotions reside. Okay. All right. I was going to say, uh, it could be good or bad, depending on what I'm, where I put my focus and energy. Yeah. What's your priority? What are your priorities like? You're asking. Good. It's a place where you have the ability to uh, perceive others, the empathy for others, and enjoy you. I didn't spell that right. I before E except after C. I got so caught up in that. What was the other word you said? <laughs> okay, I got so caught up in that. <laughs> Perceive. Uh, others. Empathy. That's the word I was looking for. I have, I have brought more entertainment to people about me writing on the board over the years. Um, all right, what else? It's kind of a weird direction to go, but I don't think it's necessarily restrained by reason. Okay. It's not restrained by reason. <laughs> no, that is not an odd direction to go. Because once we do things and we look back on them, we go, why did I do that? Because reason didn't work. Okay, Franklin? I don't have a good answer, but something just came to me is that the thing in the Bible is deceitful. The heart, is deceitful. heart is deceitful. All right. Deceit. Now, what I used to do is write in script and then just run my letters together and you wouldn't know. <laughs> That's the sequel. <laughs> <laughs> Can't be trusted. Can't be trusted. Okay. Excellent. Good thoughts. Good thoughts. What else? carried away and kept, felt like I kept needing to write letters for some reason. What else? Now, Tom, you're a man of wisdom. What would you say? I was thinking more along with the first two kind of combined, the, the deep in herself where feelings and emotions. Mm -hmm. 
I know Tom real well, so I won't call, if you're new, I'm not gonna call on you, make you feel weird or anything, so don't start trying to hide from you. Uh, okay, all right, very good. Now, as here's what's important for us to understand. Uh, the Bible does not give us a concise, single sentence to define the word heart. As a matter of fact, a thousand and six times in Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, it refers to the word heart. Now, sometimes words that are, that are used in the Old Testament and ones that are used in the New Testament don't always link up side by side, but the word for heart is the same both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament itself. So you can, you can, no matter whether you're reading in the Old Testament or the New Testament, the same connotation fits. And so it's just like we use a ruler as a standard for measurement. We use a dictionary as a standard for what words mean. The scripture is what helps us to uh, discern and understand what heart is. And so as we look at that, I want a couple of things I want us to uh, look at and, and keep in mind um, when we talk about conscience, uh, our spirit, soul, and body, in our lives, these things aren't just necessarily compartmentalized. Are you with me? They weave together. And, and you just, it's not, that, it's not that simply defined. Are you with me? Because you can't talk about emotion here without, without its domino effect going into different parts of our lives, which is our soul and our body and, and our heart as well. When we talk about our hearts, we see that it's not synonymous with spirit and soul. Uh, and I could give you many, many more passages, but I'm just going to use one. Psalm 51.10, creating me a clean heart, O God, and put a new and right spirit within me. So what, the first one he says, I need you to create, and then once you create, what's going to happen? It's going to put a new and right spirit within me. So they're not the same. You can't say heart and spirit or heart and soul because they're, 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 they're separated, which we've been talking about spirit and soul and body over the past few weeks. Now here's the thing. Heart is braided into a set of beliefs. Just like a rope is, is, is a woven fabric, and you take all your beliefs that you have, and whatever you believed about what's happened in your life, and this is what it forms. It forms something in your life. Are you with me? And it can either be a noose around your neck, or it can be something that can lift you out of the pit. Are you with me? Your, your tapestry, your, your braided beliefs, whatever you believe is woven into a, it's woven into a set of beliefs that's woven that forms character and identity. I can tell you all day long that you're a saint, but how many of you would argue with me that you're a saint? All right. The reason why is because we don't believe it. But what does God say we are? 
we are saints. Every time he uses the word holy, it's the same word as saint. He said, well, we don't feel worthy. What do you believe? Are you going to believe what you believe? Are you going to believe what God says? God says, I have, in Christ you are worthy. With me? So your beliefs are braided. The heart is braided out of a set of beliefs that form our character and our identity. So whoever you think you are is woven in some way to either going to be a noose or something that's going to lift you out of the pits. And it all comes down to your beliefs. Your heart is a structure of your beliefs. And it resides between the soul and the spirit. Can y'all visualize that? Can you see that? Now, as it resides between the soul and the spirit, Paul says, whatever you sow, you reap. Are you ready? Yes, it is moving. <laughs> kind of throwing you off, isn't it? Yeah. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever, for you reap whatever you sow. If you sow to your own flesh, you will reap corruption from the flesh. But if you sow to the Spirit, you will reap eternal life from the Spirit. So let us not grow weary in doing what is right, for we will reap at the harvest time if we do not give up. So then, whenever you have the opportunity, let us do good for the good of all and especially for those of the family of faith. Now, let me, let me go back to what I said, uh, to th this idea of saint. God says you're a saint, and you say, no, I'm not a saint. So, so how does that fit into this passage right here? What are you sowing when you say, I am not a saint? A lie. It's, a, it's, it's, a, it's sowing of the flesh. If God says one thing and then we deny it or resist it, we're letting, that, we're letting the flesh have control in our hearts. And if we let the flesh have control in our hearts, what is it going to reap? Are you with me? The reason that we have the Word is not just to give us hope, but it's to transform us. Are you with This is a living Word. This is not just words, black and white words on a piece of paper. These are living words, and if they come into our lives, they are meant to lift us up. But if we choose not to believe them, whatever we believe is going to drag us down. The other is, your heart can be directed or set in a particular direction. If you sow to your own flesh, you will reap corruption from the flesh. But if you sow to the Spirit, you will reap eternal life from the Spirit. This is a, this is a hard thing for me to get... To, to accept if I don't have life if I don't feel like I have life then what's the problem tell me that's right that's right now does it, is that this concept easier hard Okay, what makes it hard? Got to change. Got to change. But if you know something that gives you life and then something gives you death, why is change so difficult? We live in the 
we live in the flesh. We live, we live in the flesh, and living in the flesh means I have, I'm a, I, I have fears. I've had experiences in my life that I have focused on, and it's aroused these fears inside of me. Even when God says, I don't need to fear it, what do I do? I fear it because that's been my experience. But the reason why the heart is so important is that it can be changed, it can be directed, it can be moved, but it's only by the working of the Holy Spirit itself. Your heart compels you to move along a certain path. I love this verse, Ecclesiastes 10.2. A wise man's heart directs him towards the right, but the foolish man directs him to the left. <clears throat> so whatever you believe, and whatever is woven into your belief system, this rope is going to pull you in that direction. Are you with me? It's not you that's going in the direction as far as your physical body, but it's, it is what you believe that pulls you in a direction. So this rope is around me and my physical body And I can, I can, as you were saying, I can know in my mind what's right and what's wrong. But when I have fear in me, whatever that, if I have a fear or if it's pride or if it's anything else, that is what's going to pull me along. That's what's going to direct me, is my belief system. What, what's in my inner heart? What's in my inner understanding of life? You can tell me all day long, but if I can't know it to give me enough confidence to move beyond that fear or beyond my own pride or my own self-sufficiency, it'll keep pulling me in this direction. And you think, why in the world do they keep doing this when they know what it's, what it's doing to them? Why do people keep doing it when they know what it's doing to them? The reason why is because that's where their heart is. And the heart is not so much about rational. It's about what I believe about what's happened in life. Are you with me? And if I can't believe that it's going to be true, then I'm going to continue down the path I've been flowing, right? And that's why Jesus says, I have come to set you free. I am bound by these beliefs. And he said, what I want to be able to do is I want to take off what binds you. I want to take off what holds you down. And I want you to have life and I want you to have it abundantly. But until you're willing to change this inner being, this inner belief system that you have woven together in your life, See, I can't change this for you. I spent the time, Tom and I have been in local ministry together. I'm not speaking for him, I'm speaking for me. I spent 20 years trying to change people. I can't change anybody. I, I watched ropes pull people down into despair, and I could do nothing about it. Jeannie and I came up with a phrase the one person we can't help one against is itself. 
your greatest enemy sometimes can be yourself. Okay? Now, so your, whatever you believe in here is going to direct your path. So if you let fear reside, guess where it's going to take you? But if you, let, if, if you let confidence and hope and trust reside, where is that going to take you? I'm going to put Catherine on the spot and Scott too. But I have people say to me all the time, how can Catherine sit in this class, in our classes, and always have that smile on her face after what she's going through? Why? Tell me. Because she has a belief system that's not going to pull her down, but it's going to lift her up. Are you with me? Does that mean that she's not worried? No. Does that mean that she's not concerned? No. That's all a part of life. But what sustains her in all of this? It's the hope in Jesus. Yeah. Hmm? The Good Shepherd. Absolutely. And your belief system is wrapped up in the Good Shepherd. And so instead of this dragging you down or hanging you, it lifts you up. It lifts you up out of despair. It lifts you up out of adversity. It lifts you up out of anxiety. It lifts you up out of all these things. Now, let, let me speak to you as one from personal experience. Y'all may think I'm crazy, but I'm one of these people that got my DNA tested. Anybody else in here do that? Okay, there, there's one or two brave souls in here who want to know the truth and nothing but the truth. <laughs> okay. I had that done. It was my mother's day gift from my husband. Oh. <laughs> okay. Sorry. Wow, I'm not sure what Jenny would have said if I'd have given to her. <laughs> all right. Every, we all have certain DNA. We all always have certain genes. Um, but what you learn through your DNA testing is that with you, there are genes that are mutated, which means they don't function. So when things happen in my life, like they do yours, and my anxiety level goes up, guess which gene is mutated? The one that helps it come down. So my DNA structure is that when I go up, I have a hard time coming down. And if you stay up in anxiety, You can't function at a full speed all the time. And so, even though my faith helps my heart to settle down, but I also need to exercise. You can't separate body, mind, and it's all, all the, the things we've been talking about all work together. So I need to exercise, I need to eat right, but at the same time, it's what I believe that's going to help me deal with my anxiety. Are you with me? Some of you heard me say before that uh, I struggle with depression. And I take medication for that, and I will for the rest of my life. Okay? Medic the medication does not solve my depression. Y'all listen to me. It doesn't solve depression. 
all your medication does. Uh, my psychologist told me this in Atlanta when I first discovered this. He said, when I walk into a room, it's like I'm holding a single candle and everything else is dark. When Jeannie walks into the room, it's like you turn the lights on. What happens is, when I take medication, I not only have one candle, but I have a bunch more candles. In other words, it raises the cloud. And what the cloud, raising the cloud helps me to function better so I can cultivate skills and faith and a belief system that can help me personally deal with my depression. Are you with me? It's your belief system. The medication, I'm not against the medication. It can help you, but unless you get to a point where you can function, then it's hard to change a belief system. And it's only with the help of the Holy Spirit that you can change it. I'm as strong-willed, Jenny can tell you, I'm as strong-willed as anybody in this room. And if anybody is determined to do something, I, I'm that little boy in that commercial, you gotta get, we're going to get her done. You know, that's me. Okay. But I'm telling you, when you're holding one candle, that doesn't cut it. It doesn't cut it. Okay? Now, let's move on. The key is focus where you're looking and the other thing is listen. To whom or what are you listening? When you feel yourself going down, stop. Um, what's the guy? Ian Crone came up with this um, in, um, in the Enneagram conference. When you feel like you're going down or you feel like your anger is starting to build or you feel like your anxiety is starting to raise, what you need to do is stop. Um, notice, thank you. Uh, adjust and pray. In other words, you can't just, if you want things to change, you just can't sit there. You got to snap. You got to stop. You got to notice what's going on. What am I listening to? Am I listening to what? God says about life, or am I listening to fear? Am I listening to love, or am I listening to pride? Whatever you listen goes into your heart, and when what comes out are your beliefs, your identity, and character, and it flows it back either way. There is no one track. Just for graphic's sake, I could have drawn a hundred arrows because there's more than one arrow being traced at a time. Are you with me? So you've got an arrow coming here because of some fear or because of pride or because of self-sufficiency. And when it comes in through here, we try to work it out through the body and the soul. And we try to work things out without the spirit within the body and soul. It's going to produce more fear, more pride, more anxiety and those kind of things. But when we allow it to come back through the spirit who's interacting with the Holy Spirit, then faith and love and other things come through here and can work their way back into your soul and body and give us a life of hope and peace. Does that make sense? So it, what's, what's important is when you go into a day, what's your focus? Everybody has a certain amount of voices in their head. 
If you're anxious about something, there are some voices in your head that are telling you what you're anxious about. Are you with me? If you're excited and life feels good, there are voices in your head that are telling you it's good. If you're questioning something, there are voices in your head that are... And when those voices come up in your head, you're not psychosomatic, you're not sick. You've got, a, you've got a battle going in between your soul and your spirit. And you've got to decide, who am I going to listen to? Okay? And every time these things come up, you need to stop and say, who am I going to listen to? Am I going to listen to me? Am I going to listen to my fears? Am I going to listen to my pride? Am I, what am I going to listen to? Okay? Any questions, any thoughts, any comments on that? Yeah. It sounds to me like we're talking about the subconscious in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. Part of my job is to help people change their belief systems, specifically about birth. Um, I'm a childbirth educator and I teach hypnosis for childbirth. So we talk a lot about the subconscious and about the belief systems that reside there. And so a lot of what you're saying resonates with, with what I teach, although I'm teaching it from a secular point of view. Right. Um, and so what I would say about that is that this is something that takes practice. Yes. It's something that has to be continuously reinforced because our subconscious wants to go back to thinking the way it always has. Those belief systems that are there want to come back to the surface. And so we have to practice this over and over and over again in order to affect real change on those belief systems. Exactly, exactly. Thank you. When, when, you, when you're being called to walk by faith and to, to show love to another, that is, is what we call being led by the Spirit, right? And I'm really glad you said that. There's no such thing as a change to happen in your heart in minutes, hours, or days, or even weeks. It takes months to bring about real change. When you know you're doing something in your life that's not the right thing, what do we have a tendency to do? We want to grab hold of the steering wheel and we want to go back over here. We want to put it on a good path, right? All right, what happens when you get distracted? What happens when your anxiety level goes up? What happens when you get discouraged? What kicks in? Your old belief pattern. So you can have the steering wheel here, but if you get distracted, Jeannie hates it when I'm driving through the mountains because I'm always looking <laughs> off. I've never killed a car wreck. That was me. And I just find it interesting, you always go the way of your nose. Isn't that interesting? And uh, so, uh, but anyway, and once I get distracted, I go back to what I believe. The only way I can change what I believe is I, if I experience it enough and gain enough experience in that practice that over time, the new truth will overcome the old truth. So would you say, I'm trying to reconcile this but make sense of in freedom prayer moments 
like I feel like there is some I've had some spiritual surgery and some like shocking immediate deep-seated change of cutting out mm-hmm. the spirit cutting out patterns or, or old belief systems and just exposing real right. truth mm-hmm. um, so is it are you saying then that maybe if although spirit can be immediate the heart is what then you have to go back to because I do regularly go back to Oh, this is real. This is true. And speak truth to myself to try to retrain my thinking. That's what you and have that's to. That's the heart part. That's yes. That's the heart part. Okay. You're retraining your thinking. For instance, um, if you were in first service, you heard Josh talking about forgiveness. Okay, I, he asked you to think of a name. I thought of one. And if you don't, you're in denial. <laughs> you're lying to yourself. You know, there's always somebody that's that just gets under our skin. And uh, we planted a church, and a couple was a part of this, and it was a fight with them the whole way. Somebody mentioned their name a week ago, and that emotion came right back up. Now, here's what we all need to understand. I forgave them. But just because I forgive someone doesn't take the pain away, the hurt away. And every time it comes back up, I have to go through that exercise in my mind saying, no, I forgave them. Satan, you're not going to get behind me. You're not going to use this. I don't think that way anymore. They are not my enemy. You are my enemy. And so the heart can only change if we do that over and over and over and over and over with each belief that we have, each, each lie that we have believed from Satan and replace it with what is true. So what you were saying a minute ago, once we can understand truth doesn't mean we're experiencing freedom because it takes a while for that freedom to live itself out. He says in Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2, he said, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then, he uses the word, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Are you with me? We change it here, but then over time, for this to change, we've got to test it and live it. Jeannie? Well, I think what uh, Catherine's describing about freedom prayer, for me, it's awareness. It's like this flash of awareness where you think, oh, I get it. It's like realizing it, I guess. And then so much of change of heart for me is usually in retrospect. Like I'll think, oh, I didn't respond like I haven't. You know what I mean? It's almost like looking back, you can see the change more so than in the moment. Um, and that's where it feels really sweet, I think. Yeah. And I think to use your, your visual analogy, it's drawing attention to the road. Like if that's what's pulling you. Yeah. Like yeah. It you do. You do. I mean, yes, you can have these freedom prayer moments and and experiences, and but you need help walking it out the next day, and the next week, and the next two months, and the next five years. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just just a community thing. That's oh, it is, and we can't do it without community. Yeah, because I mean, what the enemy wants is isolation. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, I mean, 
Especially for us as men, yes. Well, I mean, there's an identity piece to us, too. Right. Like, I mean, that, that's kind of like under the surface. Mm -hmm. Because um, there's, I know for me, you know, there, there's this trick with community as well um, that where Satan can really twist it. Because if you're developing your identity based on what people are telling you, then that can really twist what God intended for community to be. So I know my freedom prayer moment has been more of, no, this is who you are. This is who you, you know, are. So, so it's a matter of, of switching off from the lies that can happen horizontally and making that community, like worshiping that community, to twisting it and, and refocusing it so that the truth is coming from that vertical relationship, not the horizontal one. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Excellent point. I want to... Um, for a person who grew up thinking I had to perform to be accepted and, to, and approval of other people was very important to me. I grew up in a very works righteousness. So if I did good things, people loved me. If I did bad things, people pushed me away. So if I wanted their love, guess what I had to do? And then when I turned 15, I said, screw all you guys. I want to do what I want to do because I can't win. And so it was like I had a, a lobotomy or something that one night and just... You know, started doing things that were stupid, and uh, but anyway, y'all didn't you don't want to know about all that. Um, John chapter two, verse twenty-four. That's where I'm going with this. All righty, it's right in here somewhere. Okay, here you go. All right, verse twenty-four and twenty-five. Kyle, I have old eyes. I can't see that. I haven't got my glasses down. At the, Yep. 24. Right there. Right here. But Jesus would not entrust himself with them, for he knew all men. But he did not need man's testimony about man, for he knew what was in a man. He said, I did not trust myself to man because I knew what was in the heart of man. Now, I love brothers and sisters. Don't get me wrong. But I'm not going to entrust my identity to them. Mm -hmm. You are my son, it, whom I love, and whom I love. And, and it's like, I imagined that that's what he heard the whole time before creation, this whole time with God, Jesus and God before he came to earth. That's all he heard. That's his identity. That's all he heard. Had nothing to do with what Jesus did. Had nothing to do with Jesus' behavior. And then and it was such a thing of, okay, now he's on the earth. He's, and he gets baptized and he starts his ministry. Mm -hmm. He hears these words of God. This is who you are. Mm -hmm. Even before he starts his ministry. That's right. And, and, and that's what sustains Jesus. Because mm -hmm. he's going to get rejected. He's going to be spat on. He's going to be experiencing all of this stuff that could create these ropes. He doesn't... He's not going to be led only by his father's identity words. Right? Mm -hmm. And I just appreciate the example of Jesus that, yes, he was rejected, but he didn't take on rejection. That's right. As an identity. That's right. Greg? I have a verse here that I think is intertwined in basically everything we've talked about here, and that is Proverbs 4.23. It says, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. And we've talked about all these different ways 
guarding our heart so that it can be a wellspring, not something that drags us down and others around us. Right. And what did what did, how did Jesus describe the Holy Spirit in John seven? There will be streams of living water flowing through you. Okay? And we're going to get into that more next week. But here's what I'm going to send everybody. So I'm glad, glad you guys brought this up. What God says about you. And 20 cans of success. I'll just read you the first one. Why should I say I can't when the Bible says I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength? Are you, you seeing what I'm talking about here? The heart comes down to who you're going to believe. Who you're going to believe. And I know there's a lot of things standing in our way of believing God and believing Jesus. I know it's not simple praying and reading your Bible. Believe me, I get all that. And that's where things like freedom prayer and other things can help you. But you, to have the abundant life, we've got to change how we Believe, not just think. We got to change how we believe. Okay. Yeah, I was just going to say that. You know, it's very hard, I think, for us to truly believe that we are sons and daughters, and that Jesus, His sacrifice, made us pure and made us whole, and that's who we are. That you know, we we live in this world, and you know, we're we're so sidetracked by what's coming in That's right. Well, that's what we're going to do next week. We're going to talk about the idea of sowing and how do you bring about that change of heart. And we're going to key in on some of the things that, uh, that Catherine shared just a minute ago of the, uh, and that it takes time and it takes effort. And, uh, you know, like in First Peter, he said, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and the goodness knowledge and the knowledge self-control and the self-control perseverance and perseverance godliness and godliness brotherly kindness i mean make every it's it, it's a it works you know it's like our daughter called us one day and she said you never told me that marriage was a lot of work <laughs> and i'm going yeah and we didn't say it wasn't a lot of work you know and uh so Anything of value requires work, but that's, that's really, that, that's too simple. It's a matter of life or death. Are you with me? That's what Andy's trying to get us to see over the past few weeks. This is really a matter of life or death. Abundant life or desperation. That's really what it comes down to. And we can't, uh, we can't, you cannot not acknowledge it if you want to change. Okay? All right. All right. Uh, I'm going to get Lori. If you are not on our uh, class email, uh, you can just put your email address on the back of this one, and I'm going to send everybody these two copies. Now, here's, I'm going to, y'all, y'all hold on to these because I want to talk about how, we, how you can bring these to life. And then, okay? All right. Thanks, everybody. Y'all have a good one.